Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 660 of the podcast and it is Thursday the 8th of December 2022 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to Charlene Putney, who is a writer and co-creator of Leica, which is a generative AI writing tool. But the different spin on this one is the ability to train different brains based on different writers. And Charlene wants to create a licensing model, much like the one I postulated in my 2020 book on AI, where a group of authors in a similar genre could band together and create a body of work to fine-tune a model and be recompensed for it. Charlene also talks about focusing on fun and curiosity when playing with these AI tools, and why she's not worried about AI replacing writers and authors, and neither am I. It's all about co-creating, and as ever, building your personal brand and connecting with readers however you choose to write. So that's coming up in the interview section. So Charlene and I actually recorded this before the release of ChatGPT, which you can find at chat.openai.com, which many of you have tried since I talked about it earlier in the week or a week ago if you are one of my patrons. And lots of you have emailed to say you've tried it and you're loving it and you like, even if you're not using it for writing, you're doing book descriptions and sales copy and emails for work and other things like that. To add to some of the examples I gave in the previous show, Klaus Moller said, I've been playing around with this amazing tool and have discovered that it works just as well in my native language, Danish, as it does in English. It translates well from English to Danish as well. So if you're not an English speaker, give it a try in your own language. And Mark Dawson said, it's possible that at the creative pen is sometimes a little too soon with new technology, wink emoji. But after spending some time with ChatGPT over the weekend, I'm seriously impressed. So if you haven't tried it yet, check it out at chat.openai.com. So coming back to today's show and the interview with Charlene, she talks about how Leica is about fine-tuning models based on a writer's existing body of work, which is definitely a different kind of approach. She talks specifically about avoiding the models that might be trained on works in copyright. And basically all these tools right now, well, most of them, (laughs) are trained on images, text, music, uh, data scraped from parts of the internet and uh, I guess we'll never know exactly where it got everything from. And there is actually a class action lawsuit right now as reported in Wired and I'll link to it in the show notes because a lot of people have asked me about this and again I've I've talked about this before and I totally agree with Charlene and there are many uh, visual artists who want to remove their work from these training models. So this particular lawsuit uh, is about the GitHub co-pilot and is about code and it says that the uh, that GitHub is infringing copyright because it does not provide attribution when Copilot reproduces open source code covered by a license requiring it. So 
even though this lawsuit is going to sort of address some of the issues, it certainly won't <laughs> tackle all of them. The lawsuit's also at an early stage and the prospects are unclear because none of this stuff has faced legal scrutiny as yet. As ever, technology goes a lot faster than the legal side behind it. And uh, this will definitely come to um, impact the broader trend of generative AI. But in my mind, the genie is well out the box. And this is also about global technology and global lawsuits. So even if in, and I don't think this will happen, but even if in the US they said, right, no one is allowed to use these generative AI tools, it all has to stop, then that doesn't prevent other countries from doing it. And I'm pretty sure where we are in the world today, <laughs> that the US and the EU, even though there are a lot more rules in the EU, um, will not stop this technology from continuing to uh, move on. So personally, I think AI remixing and generative AI and all the wonderful things we can do with it, similar to the internet, there are always going to be bad actors, there are always going to be bad things we can do with technology. But there are, in my mind, being on the side of the angels and using it to create good things in the world is what we should be doing. So yeah, the genie is not going back in the box on this, even if there is a big payout for the people who helped train it in the first place, I guess. So just to come to sort of the question of, oh, will AI take our jobs? Um, no, I still believe that none of these tools have a will of their own. And look, to be honest, even if they did, even if tomorrow an AI just starts writing novels, well, how is that any different to the millions of other books that are available out there on every conceivable topic? We know the job is not just outputting a book. <laughs> the job is deciding what to write. The job is coming up with ideas. Then it is, yes, writing the words, but then also curating, editing, reaching readers, having a voice, deciding what our focus is going to be of our books and the themes of our writing and all the things that make each individual human creator have a different voice. You and I can both be given the same prompt and we will both write different books. And I believe that's going to be the same with AI as well. It's also very clear that many people do not want to sit around crafting words with these tools or without them. And so those of us with curiosity and creative vision and the patience to work with these tools to create amazing things, we will, we will continue to produce and sell our fantastic work. So I am more excited than ever. I mean, I always say this, but every year something seems to happen and I just get even more excited. <laughs> and this is no different. So I hope you enjoy the discussion with Charlene because we, we're both of the sort of techno-positive side of things. So today's show is brought to you by the friendly folks at Written Word Media. Written Word Media knows that marketing your book can be one of the most challenging parts of being an author. That's why they make marketing easy by providing quick, easy and effective ways to promote your books. Written Word is best known for their email promotion sites, Free Booksy, Bargain Booksy and Red Feather Romance. They have five promotion sites in total that send daily newsletters to a combined audience of over one million readers. They even have a site to promote your audiobooks called Audio Thicket. When you purchase a promotion with Written Word Media, your book is sent to thousands of readers who love and read your books in specific genres. As the email hits inboxes, you will see a flurry of sales or downloads of your title. Email promotions are based on how many readers are in the genre and range from $25 to $500. 
To help you get the most out of your book promotions, Written Word Media recently launched Premium Membership, which gives authors 10% off their book promotions and special access to products and services like the new partnership with Yonder, a premium serial fiction app offering curated stories in every genre. Visit writtenwordmedia.com forward slash membership to learn more or email info at writtenwordmedia.com to ask for recommendations on which promotion will best meet your goals. And just a personal note there, I use FreeBooksy and BargainBooksy in particular to do my promotion several times a year. In fact, I've got one coming up soon after Christmas. And yeah, I fully appreciate the email service that they have. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time as ever is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. You can support the show on patreon.com forward slash the creative pen and you'll get the extra Q&A audio that I do every month and you can ask questions about writing craft, publishing, book marketing, making money writing or indeed any of the futurist stuff. And of course, I know some people don't want to contribute monthly. You can go in and out as you like. And you can also now buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Charlene Putney is an award-winning writer, professional speaker and university lecturer. She's also the co-creator of Leica, an AI-powered creativity tool. So welcome to the show, Charlene. Thanks so much, Joanna. It's really great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Oh, no, I'm excited to talk to you about this. So first up, tell us a bit more about your background at the intersection of creativity and technology. Sure. So I'm quite old now. I'm 42. <laughs> so I've been around for doing a lot of things for a long time. I started out my career, I'm put doing inverted commas here, studying ancient Near Eastern languages in university. And then after that, I wasn't quite sure what to do next. But then they had openings for people to work in Google in Dublin, where I'm from. And I applied there and I worked there for the next uh, almost five years. And then from there, I went and worked in Facebook. And weirdly, my ancient Near Eastern languages helped me out a lot because I was able to use those to work on product teams with right to left languages. So I worked in tech there for about, yeah, almost 10 years. And then I really wanted to do something a bit more creative with my time. And I had been doing a lot of experimental writing classes and I was writing a little sci-fi novel myself. And so I basically left Facebook to just devote myself for a few months to, to writing. And after those few months had had gone and I realized that I still needed to earn money and pay the rent, I started trying to figure out how I could actually use my writing to do that. And that's how I got into writing for video games. So after a few small kind of projects in and around Dublin, I ended up working for Larian Studios on much bigger games, big role-playing games like Divinity Original Sin 2 and Baldur's Gate 3. And from there, I started speaking at different games events all around the world. Uh, and one of them was here in Copenhagen, where I live now. And there I met Martin Pieckelmeyer, who's my partner on Leica and my partner in life. And together, we've basically been just making wild experiments with writing ever since. So yeah, that's where I am. 
Oh, that's awesome. And just to say, I'm older than you, so I'm 47. Oh, nice. I never meet people older than me. (laughs) But also my degree is in theology. And so I did ancient Greek and studied Israel before the exile and sort of so ancient Near Eastern stuff. And I started out doing Arabic. So I kind of feel like we have quite a lot in common in our back. Yeah, our background is not not computer science, right? And I think this this is so important. Well, let me then ask you that question. So how how does your essentially your you've got an arts background how mm-hmm. does your arts background help you in this technological world full of people who do computer science hmm, that's a really good question so in my undergrad I also did philosophy and I think that part of what has helped me a lot like in, in all of the tech world and also in the games industry and now also coming into the AI industry where I've been for the last year or so is this feeling of it's okay to stop and slow down and think about things before rushing into solutions. I've kind of always been the person in the room who's going, okay, wait a minute, let's just think about this other part first before we implement something. And I'm sure you can see like now, especially like with the the ongoing downfall of Twitter that we're all witnessing every day. (laughs) That is something that is not uh, super common uh, in the the tech world. So I feel like that's one of the things that, that, that arts has helped me to bring into my career. Yes, well, we're recording this in the middle of November 2022. So by the time people listen to this, we don't know what might have happened. (laughs) But yeah, it's interesting. Well, just staying on the creativity side. So I feel pretty enmeshed in the AI space as well. And I often feel like there, there aren't enough when I when I say creative, I mean, obviously, coding is very creative. So there are Mm. lots of coding creative people in the room but there aren't so many let's say artists so you mentioned writing science fiction novel and I feel like there's the visual art at the moment is obviously really interesting with AI but this sense of are we missing artists and arts people in this tech space and how can people get involved when they feel like it's just too techy? Yeah, I think that's a really nice point, Joanna. So actually, like when we started making like it, it was kind of coming from that place of my partner is a programmer, like he he has a computer science degree. And so when we would make our experiments, like he would set up all these notebooks for me in Jupyter and collaboratory, and he would write code programs for me to mess around with. And then I'd be able to work with them because I, I don't have a coding background. But what we really wanted to do was like make this accessible to normal people who don't want to fiddle around with knobs and buttons and find their way through that. And that's one of the things I've really found very strange about like so much of the tools out there is that like even, for example, Midjourney, which is my favorite of the image generation tools, and I use it all the time for like illustrating my yoga workshops, illustrating pieces from Leica is that like it's in this Discord server and you also need to understand how to make the prompts and all of the things about it just require so much personal investigation and knowledge about how to do things. Like even just being on the Discord server, I tried to get my dad interested because he's really into lots of different types of tech. And then the Discord thing, you just couldn't get into the Discord part. So there is that, I think, there is just a barrier. There's the barrier of entry to regular people like me <laughs> still at the moment, even with these excellent tools. So, yeah, I hope that that becomes more. And I'm sure it will, because every tool, when it comes out first, it's always the early adopters need to jump through a few hoops and then people make it more accessible for the next ones who come along. 
Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I mean, what's so funny is I had gone on to Discord for various blockchain things mm-hmm. uh, and I just hated it. And I was like, I'm not even going to use Discord. I'm just not going to go there. And then mid-journey, <laughs> I was like, I need to have a look at mid-journey. And now I'm in it every single day. <laughs> yeah, I'm same. like, I will get over this problem with myself and Discord in order to use the tool. But I mean, it, it is a really interesting time. But l- let's talk about Leica. Can you explain what is Leica and why did you decide to create it? Sure. So it's basically an AI powered creativity tool for writers. It's specifically for like serious writers, we would say. So like professional writers, really serious hobbyist writers, people who have a chunk of writing already behind them, basically, like who already have their own voice and their own way of writing. And the way it came about was actually over the pandemic, myself and my partner would be sitting around the table together like because we both be at home from work, (laughs) working from home. And so we had a lot more time together to talk about our experiments and think about what we wanted to do next. And we made tons of experiments using GPT-2, using Google Collaboratory. And then we started thinking, wouldn't it be so nice to show other writers how to do this? So we started setting up these events online, like over Zoom, where we would show people specific, like over a kind of a two and a half to three hour session, very, very step by step, how to upload their texts, how to like make train an artificial intelligence on their own writing, how to use these notebooks, and then how to decipher the results and pull them into something else. And so we got a great result from those. And people like you could just see the magic in their eyes, the sparkle. But it was still spending three hours on a Wednesday evening trying to learn this stuff and then trying to hold the way that the code notebook works in your brain before you try and work on it again. And so basically we were just like, well, maybe we could make this into maybe we could make this very, very accessible. Like maybe we can take this and put it into a very friendly, intuitive and accessible format. And so that's what we basically did. And so when you come to work with Leica now, you can train a brain, which is basically like fine tuning an artificial intelligence using your own writing. So as I said, it's for writers who have a body of work. So you can basically come in, give us like somewhere over 10,000 words of your own writing. We'll fine tune your own personal GPT-2 model on that. We host our own GPT-2 on our own server. And then that'll always be there for you. And it will basically bounce back suggestions and ideas and thoughts to you in your own voice using your own concepts. So that's what the idea is. (laughs) That's where we've been going with it so far. It's so interesting. Obviously, I've tried loads of these different tools. And in fact, I did work with someone to train a GPT-2 model on my writing before I've discovered yours. So I think this is a really interesting thing. But what I actually found by doing that is that I was I was kind of bored by my own brain. <laughs> so and what I've did, like you mentioned this is an AI powered creativity tool. And what I have kind of come to is that I don't I initially thought I wanted more of my writing, but mm-hmm. actually I love the sort of creative co-pilot or uh, almost the sort of madness that mm-hmm. having a, a GPT-3 or a w- whatever brings because it's the fact that it's not my mind that is more interesting than being my mind. So talk about the different brains in Leica you can use other than your own work. Sure. So yeah, that's also a really nice point because indeed, sometimes our own voice is not as inspiring as that of others. At the moment, we've uploaded a bunch of different brains into Leica, which are all based on works that I've taken from Project Gutenberg. So they're all in the public domain. 
So we have like, for example, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. We have Kafka, Dostoevsky, uh, Jane Austen. And you can basically use all of these. Uh, but our best one is Marcus Aurelius by far. He is just so good. No matter what you do with Marcus, he gives you a great answer. So I'm kind of obsessed with that. I will use my own brain, but I but then I will always find out what Marcus has to say about the same thing and sometimes take that instead because he's my favorite writing partner now. <laughs> so yes, we found that like we do a lot of live events at the moment. So like we were just at the Royal Danish Academy the other night and we were at the Adventure X conference in the London last weekend. And when we're at these events, we basically do a live demo where we use lots of different brains to kind of create a story or create a thing. Or like, like for Adventure X, we made the five rules of writing with Leica, and which you can see on our Write with Leica Twitter account. But basically, there's a, so much joy in the audience, so much joy in the moment of like bouncing between different brains and like starting one sentence with the mind of Robespierre and then finishing it up with H.P. Lovecraft. It's wild. And actually, another thing we've been doing is making combination brains. So myself and my partner are actually writing a little book at the moment together on a brain with a brain that we've made. It's a combination of Jane Austen, H.P. Lovecraft and a lot of really crappy free cryptocurrency ebooks and we're making this like cosmic <laughs> cosmic horror marriage plot about demons on the blockchain and i think it's going to be great that sounds awesome I, i'm definitely interested <laughs> in that i ha always have demons in stuff i write so, so there's a few things to come back on there so you talked there about joy we're both giggling away here you've talked about magic and sparkle and wild and these are all words that make this sound amazing and having used many of these models i spend a lot of time being amazed and finding it super brilliant but most writers are just scared and rejecting this out of hand. And I've had quite, I'm sure you have too, but quite a lot of sort of personal attacks and comments and <laughs> emails that say, why are you talking about this? This is going to destroy writers and all of this. So what do you say to people who are scared about it? How should people approach these tools? So yeah, another great question, Joanna. And the funny thing is, I don't get that much, I don't get much vitriol uh, actually, at the moment, fingers crossed, it doesn't start. <laughs> yeah, you might now come in on this show. <laughs> but I suppose I find that if a writer spends any amount of time writing with artificial intelligence, it's very, very clear, very, very quickly how much the human soul and creativity and spark is needed to kind of corral the thoughts together and pull the pieces into a beautiful tapestry that the world will see as good writing. That without you, the writer, pulling something into it and taking it together, it isn't anything. And it, it never is. And I don't think it ever will be. I mean, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe there'll be amazing AI poets in, in, in 50 or 100 years. But I, I feel like as, as soon as you start working with it, you start to see it's a paintbrush. It's a tool. It's like when we moved from writing with a pen to writing with a typewriter. It's like when we moved from writing with a typewriter to writing in Google Docs. And now here we have this thing to bounce off. So I suppose my experience is that like I used to work in a very big writer's room. There were seven of us. We all worked in the same Google Docs. We wrote over each other. We added comments to each other. We struck out each other's lines and put in new ones. And it was just this constant like hive mind way of working. And then when I left the writer's room, when I moved here to Copenhagen and was back writing by myself again, 
I was completely confronted with that fear of the blank page that honestly I hadn't really ever experienced before to the same degree because I completely missed having somebody to bounce off. And for me, that's what AI writing tools are. All of them is like they're not replacing me. They're not replacing anything. What they are just doing is giving me something to bounce off so I can be like, oh, yes, more like this or oh, no, I don't like that at all. But even that's giving me a new direction to go in. So it's kind of like all those tricks that the old experimental writers used to work with, like cut-up technique, like the Diceman method, all those things that the surrealists used to try and like pull out stuff from the unconscious. That's what we're getting. Mm. Yeah. And it's almost like you prompt the AI with something and it gives you, it returns something back. And then that prompts your mind to come up yeah. with something else. And then you come up with a new thing and then reprompt it. And it's this iterative process. But yeah, and to me, the writer, the artist is the creative director. But let's get into how writers make a living right now. <laughs> we make money from licensing copyright. That's how we make money. So there are two two things to address here. First of all, uh, the issue of creating these models in the first place. So obviously these tools have been trained. I mean, you said you trained Leica on out of copyright works, but GPT-2 itself um, and GPT-3 and Midjourney and all these have been trained on works available on the internet. And I just don't think we can say they are all out of copyright. I just can't see it for text as well as images. So how do we address the issue of the training data for models, given that the original creators are not being uh, recompensed? Mm, okay, yeah, that's a really juicy and spicy question. <laughs> so I suppose another like part of that is that the bigger the models get, the more the content they're going to be taking from the world. So as far as we know, like when we are working with GPT-2, we only work with GPT-2 at the moment because we want to be able to host our own models ourselves so that we can give our users like their own brains and have it in their own space. But with GPT-2 is that it was like, yeah, trained on lots and lots and lots and lots of scraped internet data from around uh, in 2017 and a load of old books a thing called the pile and a lot a lot of the content comes from things like reddit posts <laughs> social media anything that's, that's out there and that's publicly available and so when it's being recombined in that way that like that content like the, the content of gbt2 itself doesn't really give you anything special so if you try to write something with it it's not Perhaps like you can't maybe write something really amazing with it. There's nothing that you're going to create out of it that somebody will, I think, be able to say, oh, that's using my content or that's doing something that was mine. Whereas when you fine tune the work, then it is like honing. So I like to think of it that like GPT-2 is basically the grammar. It's like, it's just, it knows where the words go. It knows how a sentence is constructed. It knows what the shape of a sentence or a phrase should be. And then we're like filtering that through a particular writer's voice. And like, we're very, very interested in following the law and not in any way interested in being any kind of a, a <laughs> proto case for the new way, the new laws that are definitely going to be coming in in the next few years around AI and copyright. So we are very strongly saying people should only use um, their own like either your own content or content that you know to be in the public domain. And if anyone uploads content that is in copyright, I will take it down. So we have that. And like, yeah, from our perspective, the GPT-2 is open source and we're just using it as a base grammar. However, you are 
kind of inching me into one of my one of my uh what is the what's the opposite of a pet peeve uh pet <laughs> favorite love, topic yeah <laughs> favorite topic yeah which is this compensation for the writers because one of the things we're really hoping to do in our next few months like as we get ourselves with the brand we've started doing this thing called shared brains so you could basically joanna take your brain and upload it and share it with other people for them to use and what we want to do is allow this to be a kind of a thing where like ip holders can license out their brains so let's for example say my favorite one is my dad's favorite author is robert ludlum who has been dead for many years and yet still keeps writing books with the aid of uh, ghost writers and additional writers and how wonderful would it be if the estate of robert ludlum was to give us all of his content and then license that to us so that people who want to write just like Robert Ludlum would be able to pay a small fee that would go almost completely to the IP holder in order to access that. Or that you or any other writer who has fans, who has people who want to write like them, can can license their brains um, for a fee. I love that you say that because two years ago, I wrote a book on AI and how it will impact publishing and authors and talked about this and basically said, what I want is to collectively license blocks of IP. So if I said, for example, indie thriller authors, so indie authors control all of their rights. So this would be very hard with the publishing companies probably because they're quite resistant, but there's quite a lot of indie authors who would join together and create like, let's say an action adventure thriller brain that would have Mm. the work of quite a lot of my friends. And why I kind of put it with blockchain is the ability to do micro payments and Mm -hmm. split that. Now, obviously it wouldn't need to be blockchain, but it was kind of thinking about how to do that without having to do other contracts and things like that. But what the idea there, the fact that we've both come up with this idea gives me more hope because I just haven't seen a way to do that. But what you're talking about is exactly that thing. Essentially, it's data licensing, right? Yeah, exactly. And it, it, like like I say, it's something we actually hope to do in the next three months. And um, we just get into the next phase of our project because we are currently in the process of turning ourselves into a commercial enterprise. But until last week, we were a research project as part of the IT University of Copenhagen working with research funding. So we are now out loose in the world and able to start monetizing and working with actual commercialization. And this is one of our main avenues that we're really keen on. Mm. Well, yes, because the problem I found, even just with training my brain on Leica, is that I don't have enough words to give it enough enough breadth. So it's almost like even a writer like Stephen King or Robert Ludlum does not have the breadth of work or the number of words that would really give it a good spin in, in the direction of that. But a whole load of authors together would would really make that possible. The other thing is also writing in different genres. So as JF Penn, for example, I write in action adventure, I write in crime, I have some horror, I have some other things. So it's almost like there are ways of splitting people's IP into these different models yeah yeah, I think that idea it's it's definitely got legs (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I think we should chat about this again in a month when we're more set up and maybe yeah for sure to, to get it rolling yeah absolutely but then being devil's advocate I know I'm a techno optimist you clearly are too, right? And so we, we're we just thrilled about all this stuff. We're just giddy with excitement. But we both use Midjourney, 
and I'm sure you've tried Midjourney version four, which they bought out in the last couple of weeks, as well, in mm-hmm. fact, the last week, I think, as we record this. Have you tried version four? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So I found with the same prompt on version three on Midjourney and version four, it was a step change. Like the ability of the AI to understand my prompt mm-hmm. was just incredible. And so I feel like that is very interesting, given that you're using GPT-2. GPT-3, I did find a step change from GPT-2. And now we're hearing rumors of GPT-4, which mm-hmm. should be coming in the next few months. So given that, I mean, I, I want Leica and other tools to be as good as they can be. So I want it to be better and better. But again, then we come back to the issue of the training data. I mean, even you and I both using Midjourney and the training data is very clearly in copyright. So Absolutely. I don't I don't know. It's really, it's really hard. What I don't want to do is legislate these tools out of existence because you can't. They'll just go to an area where they can flourish. Um But yeah, I mean, how do we resolve this? I mean, obviously we can't come up with a decision, but it's difficult, right? It is difficult. And as a person who's trying to set up a business, I am very, very keen on us never breaking the law. And as a writer, I'm very keen on figuring out how we can like compensate writers and how we can make sure that people are able to get something out of their work. But as a kind of humanoid on this tiny rock hurtling through space and time with (laughs) only a certain amount of years to live, I just have this absolute feeling of let's go, let's go, let's go, let's keep rolling bigger, better, faster, stronger. And I keep coming back to this feeling about like the kind of work that is being replaced by AI or the kind of things that are going away. It kind of makes me feel something about the people who put on horseshoes in the early 1900s, kind of complaining about the car. Like Like, there's a giant world out there that we can explore. And we as the early adopters can perhaps like exploit and be a part of and figure out new ways and ways of making new kinds of money or new ways of making a living. But trying to just say this, this future thing, this future way of doing things isn't good for our industry. So let's not let cars happen. We need us horseshoe makers need to make a living just doesn't feel right to me. It just feels like we need to throw ourselves into the new new ways and finding out what those new ways can be. Mm, Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So we talked about the input there, the sort of the training data and the potential for licensing in the future. Let's talk about the output because people who haven't used these tools worry about plagiarism. So how does Leica and these other tools, how do they avoid plagiarism? Why is it not plagiarism? Mm, well, I mean, it's 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 just, well, it's just not plagiarism, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so every time you are, every time, so I'll just talk about Leica since that's the thing that, that I know, but every time you use Leica, you can put in a prompt. So for example, let's say we put in a prompt of deep down, I always knew. Every single time you use that prompt with any brain, you're going to get a different result, actually three different results, because we give three different inferences each time. There is really no way other than the kind of, you know, how many monkeys on a typewriter it would take to come up with Shakespeare eventually. There isn't really going to be a situation where you and me come up with the same thing. And so there isn't really a way in which we can be plagiarizing either each other or anybody else, except perhaps for like the spirit plagiarism of the spirit of 
the dead who we use as our brains that we're working with. But even still, you're never going to get like a perfect sentence that's taken from something that already exists. Every time you use a prompt, you're shifting and shaping and moving the message into a new direction that it couldn't have been in without your human touch coming in and shaping it that way. At this point in time, like, so what we say with Leica is like, whatever you make with Leica, it belongs to you because you, like, as we under currently understand copyright law, you as the human being who is creating the imagination to put in the prompt are the only human being who can hold the copyright and only human beings can hold copyright. So we don't expect or need anybody to even say that they used Leica when they use it. And that's not really part of what we're interested in. And so you don't have to like credit Leica when you're working because you are still the artist. Again, it comes back to that idea of being a brush, a paintbrush, like a tool. Um, that mm. you can... Yeah, except it's a super smart paintbrush. <laughs> a super smart paintbrush, yeah. Like every little filament of the paintbrush <laughs> has its own paintbrush. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So and it, infinity. it will get even more powerful and this is what I find so interesting and I love using these tools and people listening will know about my enthusiasm too but you said there's no need for labeling you believe people hold the copyright as the human and obviously as we record this in November 2022 the law isn't that clear on with this these generative tools there are some things I think it's open AI for the github copilot is yeah. is going yeah. to court but mm-hmm. Yeah, about copyrighted code or there are some cases and obviously we're going to see some cases. But again, I think this is about jurisdiction because like you're in Copenhagen, a lot of people listening will be in the USA and a lot of this stuff is very, it's kind of international, right? But in Mm -hmm. terms, let's talk about publishing because you might not care about the output of Leica that you think that belongs to the author and they don't need to label it. But how do you think readers feel about it or do they not care because they don't care if it's a ghostwriter i mean what i've been doing because of this time we live in i have been adding a statement of ai usage at the end of my fiction uh, or mm-hmm. and i haven't used it for nonfiction yet at all but saying where i use ai tools but i have also i've said i use pseudo write i use pro writing aid i use facebook advertising i use amazon so i've actually included all my ai usage because people mm-hmm. put this in one box and i don't think they should so what do you think about labeling finished work in that kind of way yeah i mean i th- if it makes you happy it's fine if that makes sense or like it's kind of like a like a content warning or a trigger warning or something like that I suppose there might be people who aren't interested in consuming anything that has even a whiff of AI about it but I suppose like I've been like I grew up with no television so in a way it's weird that I'm so into tech and future things because I spent my entire childhood just reading constantly I'm a voracious reader and I if I read something and it's good then I'm happy And if I read something and it's bad, I put it down. And so it's not really of any particular interest to me if the thing that I'm reading is is written by like a man or a woman or a Danish person or an American or a completely human that has nothing else going on or a human with the help of an AI. That's kind of beside the point to me when it comes to reading something that's setting my mind on fire. Mm. I think partly it's... um when if you sign a publishing contract that it will say something like I warrant that this is my own work and Mm -hmm. if you submit to submit say a short story to a competition it will have a similar warrant of this is my own work and I feel like at the moment 
this has not been ruled one way or the other. So for example, I am independently published, so that doesn't matter, but I do enter competitions. And I only, when I write my stories for competitions, I do not use AI for that because I feel like then I can agree to that warrant. And I feel like if I enter a competition and I win it, and then they find I used Leica or whatever, I think that the at the moment, the industry will consider that cheating. So mm, yeah, okay. so what do you think? So you said you and your partner are publishing this book with demons on the blockchain. So <laughs> w- would you submit that to a traditional publisher? How do you feel that sort of the legal side of publishing and these warranties of your own work, how will that work? I mean, sure, we'll we'll be happy to submit it to a traditional publisher if they'll have us and we'll be happy to say that it's our work. Uh, well, of course, we'll mention Leica because that's the thing we're trying to promote a lot of the time. <laughs> but I suppose there's this thing where, at least for me, it doesn't feel like cheating because it's actually really hard work to make this, to make the content into something that shapes around a, a human thought. So w- when we have all of our users, after they've been with us for a few weeks, we send them a questionnaire and we ask them a bunch of questions. And one of the questions is how much you agree with these statements. And one of them is like saves me time. And literally nobody thinks like saves them time. <laughs> Because it doesn't. But then 100% of people say Leica is fun. And like 95% say Leica makes me feel creative. And that's kind of where the, the space is, I think. It's that you're in this playground, you're sketching, making something, but you have to pull it together. If you imagine like a bunch of puppies running around in a room, like trying to corral them into into the the playpen is kind of what it feels like some of the times when you're trying to write with Leica because you're the one who has to keep track of where the characters are, what's happening, what's going on in the plot, where things are going to go, what's the amazing theme or message or thing you're trying to get through. And what Leica is giving you is some snappy phrases, some interesting suggestions and some rabbit holes that you might jump down. And then you jump down those rabbit holes and oh my God, you've just spent half an hour writing a poem instead of continuing with the plot that you're supposed to be on. So in my in my uh, stance, and I'm pretty sure my partner's stance as well, and in fact, the stance of our kind of copyright policy that we have at the moment is that whatever you make with this is yours because you actually made it. You really made it. You squeezed the blood from the stone and, and got something beautiful out of it. So mm. yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I uh, when I first started getting into this, it was 2016 when uh, AlphaGo beat Lisa Dole uh, at the game of Go. That's when I started getting into creativity and AI because they said that move, one of the moves was creative and it's changed the way the game of Go is played. And that's when I started to get into this. So that's what, six years ago since we're speaking now in 2022. And I, I think some of my questions are probably still related to how things were a few years ago. And we're early adopters on this. Many of my audience have not even tried a text generative tool. Um, So I feel like some of the questions that you and I might take for granted are things that the (laughs) traditional publishing industry hasn't even started considering yet. Like, I really don't think that they understand it. But one of the things I am postulating is if you think about who has the most training data, it is a traditional publisher. So mm-hmm. if, you know, a particular imprint who has been specialising in science fiction or romance or whatever for the last hundred years, like, or, or let's say even 20 years, and they've got all that content, they could train a brain and they could then 
pay creatives to do it. But as you say, that's not possible right now because it's still quite a lot of work to use the tools. But where do you think it's going to go? Because I feel like things are moving very, very fast. Yeah, things are moving super fast. And I mean, I do think it's going to go in into that space. I mean, I hope that we're going to be able to be part of the start of that side of the monetization of things. But I, I definitely think it's going to go that way. And I think some of the interesting conundrums that are going to come out there is like when a publisher owns a work, they might start making brains like artificial intelligence brains based on the work. And the writer might not be interested in that at all or might not want that to happen, but might not have much of a say it, you know, there, there could be all kinds of situations where these things are happening or where, the, where people are using it on the sly. Or, for example, I mean, obviously, we are people who are, care very much about sticking to the law and only using public domain works or works that you've written yourself. But like there's nothing stopping anybody from going and ripping the ebooks of the top 50 science fiction bestsellers and going and making a Google collaboratory notebook and training the training GPT two on that, and then writing with it. There is there is nothing stopping them except for time and patience <laughs> and energy. But there is a lot of capability out there for bad actors and good actors. And I think where we're really going to see things happen over the next few years is once the laws start getting crystallized around particular cases. Mm. And God forbid that we are part of any of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this is why I want creatives, artists, writers to be involved in this discussion so that we can impact the law. And as part of the Alliance of Independent Authors, I've been part of submissions to the World Intellectual Property Organization, the UK government about this kind of thing and how AI should impact copyright. Um, so, but I think let's fast forward a decade and I think all of this stuff will be much, much easier. So we're in a world of digital abundance where like I now can create a mid-journey image every time I want an image. I just go on mid-journey and create it, right? I don't need to buy stock images anymore. It's possible that creating fiction or books will be the same. And therefore, I think that it's about building your personal brand and building your relationship with your readers and making sure your voice is strong and writing what you love to write, whether it's with an AI tool or or not. And so the future will be about creation, but also curation and about building a sort of brand where people still want to buy your books instead of mm -hmm. AI, AI, whatever, no, whatever author AI is. So <laughs> what do you think? I mean, is that clearly digital abundance is the future, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I definitely, I, I think that personal branding thing is key. And I think we've already seen that happen over the last few years with publishing, like even just with Twitter, the kind of amount of literary Twitter over the last 10 years has just been huge. And how much it's necessary as a writer to be out there and to have a website and to be talking all the time with people. It's part of the job now. And I think it's just going to keep being how it is. I suppose I, I personally just don't really see I suppose it's maybe the kind of writing that I like or the kind of things that I enjoy. Like I, I really like very like experimental and very weird fiction. And I suppose that although it might seem like AI is best placed to make more of that and to make it the way I like it, I just don't really believe that it's going to feel like that because all of the works that I really love feel like a conversation between me and the writer, like feel like they've touched something in me that's also in them this resonance between souls. So I'm just not sure that I believe that like that 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 AI will ever replace the kind of writing that I like. 
but maybe it can replace some kinds of writing. Such interesting times. So where, <laughs> if people want to try Leica, where can they find it? Oh, so you can just go to uh, com, and there's a big button on the front of the page and it's Leica, L-A-I-K-A, like the space dog. And it's basically, there's a big button on the front page to sign up for the beta. And I just add in a bunch of people every day. So it's usually, you spend maybe spend three or four days on the wait list and then come in. But if you write in your comment, if you write something like, I literally cannot wait, <laughs> I'll see it. And I'll let you in quicker. <laughs> That's fantastic. And where can people find you and everything you do online? So I'm Charlene Putney and you can find me at Alphashar on Twitter and I'm www.alphashar.com. And you can always also write me an email. I'm charlene.putney at gmail.com. Always happy to get emails and I usually respond to them on Fridays. I'm a bit of a uh, an email Luddite. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for your time, Charlene. That was great. Thanks so much, Joanna. And yes, happy writing to everyone out there. So I hope you enjoyed the discussion with Charlene and I'd love to know what you think, especially since ChatGPT has turbocharged the potential of generative AI for writers in the last week. So I expect many of you will actually be trying some of this AI stuff for the first time. If you like the idea of fine-tuning a model with text like a Leica brain, let me know as well. Please leave a comment on the show notes or the YouTube channel or tweet me at the Creative Pen with a double N or email me joanna at thecreativepen.com. So on Monday, I have an interview with first-time author Barnaby Jameson, who is a barrister here in the UK, a King's Council, specialising in anti-terrorism, and he's just released his first historical novel. Now, Barnaby is very well connected in the literary world, and he could have done a traditional publishing deal, but decided to go indie. And he talks about what he learned, what he will do better next time, what he spent money on, and what was worth it. And in my survey, lots of people wanted to know more about the experience of self-publishing for the first time. So hopefully you'll find it useful. Happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.